November 22nd, 2017. Resistance news from across Turtle Island and beyond. An interview with a comrade active in the Olympia blockade. An update on the J-20 trials happening now in D.C. And much more on this episode of... The Hotwire. A weekly anarchist news show brought to you by The Ex-Worker. With me, the Rebel Girl. Welcome back to The Hotwire. This week's episode is packed with resistance news from across Turtle Island and beyond. Struggles led by water protectors against gas and oil infrastructure are happening seemingly everywhere. This past week, students have been busy, while prisoners have not. We have a brief update on the work stoppage at Holman Prison. We also have interviews with a comrade at the anti-fracking blockade in Olympia and with a J-20 supporter about the trials that have just begun. Listen until the end for exciting calls to action and events. If we miss something important or to include something in a future hotwire, shoot us an email at podcast at crimethink.com. A full transcript of this episode with show notes and useful links can be found at our website, crimethink.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to The Hotwire on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The X-Worker. You can also listen to us through the Anarchist Podcast Network, Channel Zero. Listeners in Tacoma, Washington can catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. on KUPS 90.1 FM. Believe it or not, every Hotwire is radio ready, so just get in touch if you'd like to put The Hotwire on your local airwaves. Our first season is coming to a close at the beginning of December. But we'll be back in February 2018 with our second season of Weekly Anarchist News. And now, for the headlines. Anarchist students in Indonesia rallied in support with West Papua to pressure Indonesia to grant independence and autonomy to the island nation. The anarchists specified that in this case, their solidarity is for the full autonomy and freedom of West Papua from the Indonesian state and not supporting the creation of West Papua as a nation-state itself. Wobbly workers were manhandled and pushed around by private security goons during a picket at a Portland Burgerville location. In response, the Burgerville Workers' Union has organized a call-in campaign to support the striking workers. You can find details for the call-in in our show notes at crimethink.com slash podcast. Fullmore Middle School students in Austin, Texas, walked out of class in protest of a teacher telling a Spanish-speaking student to, quote, go back to Mexico. Students marched through the halls chanting, Last Tuesday, when police broke up a small occupation at the University of Pittsburgh's Chancellor's Office, a full-on anarchist occupation sprung to life inside the Cathedral of Learning, a Pittsburgh landmark. The aim of the first occupation was to reduce tuition, but inside the Cathedral of Learning, a whole array of critiques and visions were on display. There were signs and banners that read, Disarm the police, arm your desire, end Pitt's capitalist greed, and this is an invitation to depart from it all. The occupation only lasted 15 hours, but a report signed by the Steel City Autonomous Movement and the Autonomous Student Network, PGH, declared... Quote, the power of that brief departure from daily life will fuel our fight against all that suffocates our autonomy. For a moment, we created a space where the authority of the university fell away and we could answer to the needs of the students by our own collective means. 
The full communique is linked in our show notes. Last week, we reported that the Twitter handle at Anani Info had reportedly taken down two white supremacist websites. Well, we are happy to report that by the end of last week, the number has risen to 12. The attack targeted sites from the KKK, Vanguard America, the Oath Keepers, and other white nationalists and neo-Nazi groups. For a deeper look into radical hacking, keep your eyes open for an upcoming Hack the System episode of Submedia's fantastic documentary web series, Trouble. Here's a teaser. This is Jeremy Hammond, anarchist hacker from Behind Bars. We should begin with the assumption that the internet is hostile territory. It's an ongoing state of war. Military and law enforcement are using it as a, as a tool for social control, but it doesn't have to be this way. And hackers and activists, we could use it to undermine and subvert these systems of power. We could create secure communication networks to coordinate the next big demonstration, but you certainly would have to be aware of encryption, of using proxy servers, of using software like Tor. You have to be able to protect yourself, because if not, they're going to use it against us. We could take the offensive and hack, expose, and destroy these systems of the rich and powerful. We could drive them offline. On Saturday in Boston, a thousand anti-fascists turn out to protest a so-called resist Marxism rally with barely a hundred nationalists, neo-Nazis, and other far-right types in attendance. And while the far-right got protection, anti-fascists got repression and a couple of black-masked protesters were captured by cops. Also on Saturday, anti-fascists in San Bernardino, California, turned out to protest an anti-Muslim rally, outnumbering the Islamophobes. One of the groups on the anti-fascist side was the Revolutionary Abolitionist Movement, who just began a new chapter in the Inland Empire area of California. We have a link in our show notes with more information about the new group. Students at the University of North Florida in Jacksonville mobilized over the weekend when the KKK announced plans to rally in defense of a political science major outed recently as a neo-Nazi. In the end, only four Klan members showed up on Monday, but a hundred anti-fascists were there to oppose them. We have an audio report about the rally linked in our show notes. Last Thursday night, a small group of anarchists attacked a Philadelphia police station with paint and hammers defacing its walls, smashing the windows of two squad cars, and leaving behind anarchist and anti-police propaganda. Reportedly, the attackers were all wearing black clothing and had their faces covered. Police have not been able to identify them from surveillance footage. According to black gay anarchist prisoner Michael Kimball, prisoners in Holman, Alabama have been on indefinite work strike since last month. Holman was one of the most active and rebellious sites of last fall's national prison strike including riots and retaliations against the warden and other correction officers. Stay tuned to anarchylive.noblogs.org for Holman Prison Strike updates from Michael Kimball. On November 10th, the Department of Justice pledged to prosecute protesters who damage oil pipelines and other energy infrastructure. The statement was in response to a letter signed by 84 U.S. representatives asking if they can use terrorism laws against activists who shut down pipelines. The DOJ said it was committed to vigorously prosecuting those who damage, quote, critical energy infrastructure in violation of federal law. Hmm. Critical for who? 
Not even a week after the DOJ's statements, the Keystone Pipeline in South Dakota spilled more than 200,000 gallons of oil next door to the Sistan Wapton Oyote Tribes Reservation. The spill came just days before neighboring Nebraska decides whether to grant the final permit for the popularly opposed Keystone XL Pipeline. As indigenous water protectors say, it's not a matter of if a pipeline breaks, but when. Lawmakers, pipeline profiteers, and everyone else in power knows this. It's not like they're stupid. They just try to outsource the disaster to the people who matter least in their profit-driven calculations. Poor folks, folks of color, and indigenous folks, not to mention the land. Courageously, however, resistance continues against extraction and pipelines. Last Wednesday, water protectors from Camp Makwa stormed an Enbridge construction site and delayed progress on the last unfinished Wisconsin segment of their proposed Line 3 pipeline project. One individual from the Diné Nation locked himself to welding equipment, while a Leech Lake tribal member climbed atop an excavator and attached himself to its arm. Construction was halted for six hours, costing the company thousands of dollars. We have a video of the action linked in our show notes. In St. Louis, water protectors dropped an anti-tar sands banner and used lockboxes to disrupt business as usual at Wells Fargo, one of the major investors in the Enbridge Line 3 pipeline project. In response to the Keystone oil spill in South Dakota, a call to action was published on the Earth First Newswire calling for tactical decentralized actions earlier this week against the impending Keystone XL pipeline in Nebraska. It reads, All the procedures have been exhausted. There is no president, governor, or public service commission board member left to stop this project, period. They never wanted to in the first place. It would be foolish to put any hope in another legal alternative, i.e. the judicial system, to magically be pulled out of a hat. The call continues. We would like to inspire conversations around tactical responses to KXL and other pipelines because we do not want to march and go home. We want to see this pipeline ended and create a new opening, a tear in the fabric to find even deeper affinity and explore what is possible. We are here to confront the specter of colonialism, genocide, and total ecological destruction as we stand in a time that can only be described as the end of the world. The call ends with examples of the kinds of resistance that the authors believe is needed. Quote, Encampments, disruptions, resistance, sabotage, all forms of action must be strategically used to make it physically impossible for TransCanada to continue through on this project. We remember those people who have been attacking the construction of energy infrastructure in various forms throughout time. From men in the Nigerian Delta to the Catholic workers who sabotaged the Dakota Access Pipeline in Iowa, and even the rural resistance of the bolt weevils in Minnesota. Our best hope for putting a halt to earth-destroying extraction and for overcoming the repression that climate rebels face is a force of people that can directly, physically stop construction projects while pointing to ways of life outside of capitalism that don't necessitate the exploitation of the earth. Luckily, you can see what that actually looks like in Unicorn Riot's brand new documentary, Black Snake Killers. The two-hour documentary takes a deep look at the indigenous-led resistance that unfolded last year in Standing Rock against the Dakota Access Pipeline. 
We encourage our listeners to hold screenings where rebels can come together and make the kinds of bonds needed to undo this colonial, capitalist, authoritarian system. You can stream Black Snake Killers online for free at unicornriot.ninja. On Friday, a year and a day after rebels in Olympia, Washington, erected a train blockade in solidarity with Standing Rock, the Olympia blockade sprung back to life. We were lucky enough to catch up with an anarchist on the ground about the blockade. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Who are we speaking with and what's happening at the blockade? Uh, My name is Evan. I live in Olympia, Washington, and I've been taking part in the blockade of fracking equipment on the tracks down here. So fracking prop ins, it's the, the sands, the ceramics that they use to prop open the the fracking wells and they get shipped in through the port of Olympia um, on the water and then taken by train out to the back and oil fields in the Dakotas. Um, and uh, they've been, so there was a blockade a year ago um, and that was at the same time that Standing Rock was going on. Um, and Standing Rock, that, that encampment ended and the blockade last year in Olympia ended. Um, but they've still been, they've still been shipping out the, the propens. They've, They've continuously been doing that all year. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's hard to say, like, why it happened. I, well, uh, I, you know, I think I think people wanted to maybe commemorate the anniversary. Um, uh, and this time it just kind of worked to reoccupy it. Um, but, you know, I think that um, blocking, blocking the fracking materials is a concrete step that we can take to stop the process of, of, uh, oil extraction of, of the fracking that's going on in North Dakota and elsewhere. Um, I think we're, you know, anywhere that anywhere on the supply chain that we can get in the way, um, it slows that process down and makes it more costly. It's really exciting. It's, there's a lot of pallets. Um, there's like a, a very, uh, extensive blockade, um, or bar- barricade around the camp, um, there's a lot of stuff just on the tracks themselves. There's a kitchen area, there's medical supplies, there's people camping out. So there's tents, there's a lot of tarps cause it rains a lot here. Um, and there's a big zine distro and barrel fires and people just hanging out and making new friends and blocking the tracks. Um, in the evenings when there's assemblies, it can be, I don't know, maybe, 30 to 50 people. I'm, I'm really bad with estimating numbers, but um, the thing that's been most exciting to me about this blockade is that, and that I was surprised by that I wasn't expecting is, is the, the social relations that, um, that I've been experiencing as a result of this uh, conflictual sort of liberated territory. And it felt really exhilarating. And, you know, I've been through a few different various, uh, aspects of when the commune happens, when there's some sort of occupation. And I think this is the first time that I've been to multiple GAs in a row that uh, I haven't left just frustrated with the level of like, you know, dealing with the peace police or whatever. And just feeling like we're, there's really good conversations that are having about like, um, for example, like, how do we, what, what, what would a victory look like? Um, or um, how, do we, how do we extend these new ways of interacting with each other beyond the blockade? Because, um, you know, presumably, unfortunately, the blockade won't last forever. 
Um, but we are experimenting with like, you know, everybody is get there, there's food and there's, there's, there's heat and, um, people are getting like basic needs met in ways that I think often don't happen. Um, and, and interacting with each other in ways that don't often happen. And how do we, how do we carry that outside of the blockade? How do we continue interacting with each other in these liberatory ways outside of the blockade and after the blockade? What can people near and far do to support the anti-fracking blockade in Olympia? Um, anyone can get involved. Anybody can come on down to the camp. It's at 7th and Jefferson in downtown Olympia. Um, I don't know that there's an, a, a donation link set up yet, but someone suggested um, both uh, pizza time and um, I forget the other pizza place, but they're delivering pizzas to the camp. So if you if you call pizza time and order us a pizza, they'll deliver it to a camp. That's, that's the thing you can do from far away. But also, I think more importantly um, is... Uh, you know, anywhere that there's resource extraction happening, anywhere that uh, there's police or prisons or borders or, um, you know, any of these aspects of capitalism in the state that, that en- enable fracking to happen or that require fracking to continue on, like, that's, that's a front line. And um, so we need, we need barricades everywhere. We need, um, we need actions everywhere. So take, take action where you are if you can't come down to Olympia. Um, and that means, that means a lot. I'm Christina from Black Rose Rosa Negra Anarchist Federation, and when I'm looking for really great coverage of resistance to state and capitalist violence, I check out It's Going Down at itsgoingdown.org or on Twitter at IDD underscore news. It's going down, and you're invited for what they sell it. We ain't buying, there is no running, there is no hiding, there's only fighting or dying. Last week, a judge ruled that the government can access the Facebook accounts of two non-indicted but high-profile anarchists in relation to the J-20 inauguration protest case in Washington, D.C. The move preceded this week's beginning of the first trial in the case, where supporters packed the courtroom to show solidarity with the defendants. We caught up with Sam from D.C. Legal Posse for the latest. Yeah, so um, this week um, at the trial of the first six defendants for the J-20 cases, things seem to be going pretty much as expected. Uh, the the prosecutor is, uh, you know, doing the same things that the prosecution has been doing all along, and the, the defense is going by their game plan that they've laid out. Um, I think the thing that's that's been really notable so far has been the massive amounts of support. We really have successfully packed the courtroom with supporters. Um, there are loving faces every time the defendants look out. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we've uh, befuddled court security a little bit, but uh, we've been uh, really showing a lot of love and solidarity and, and demonstrating what our community is all about. Um, and, I, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, the, the solidarity um, between defendants that led to the charge reductions last week, um, I think this sort of support for folks, especially as they're going through um, you know, the, the very sort of emotionally and logistically challenging process of a trial is really incredible. And it's been great to, to sort of see um, what our community is all about. Can you speak to some of the things people can do to support the J-20 defendants? Folks looking to support the J-20 defendants are, of course, welcome to join us in Washington, D.C. And they can uh, email info at dclegalposse.org uh, to get in touch with us. 
Uh, if you're nearby D.C., you can come to the courthouse at 500 Indiana Avenue Northwest uh, during the hearings and pack the courtroom to show your love in person to the defendants. The defendants definitely really appreciate it, uh, and their spirits are high uh, and will be as long as we continue to show our solidarity and support. Um, there's also a renewed call for a calling campaign, uh, both to U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu and to D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Uh, there are phone numbers and scripts at defendj20resistance.org slash drop j20. If you uh, just want to call in directly, Mayor Bowser's office number is 202-727-6263, um, and she needs to hear from us. There's also a fundraiser, um, f-u-n-d-r-a-z-r dot com slash j20resistance, uh, that is going strong, uh, has raised tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and, you know, we're hoping to raise a lot more. Uh, folks are willing, welcome to go to defendj20resistance.org, which has a number of um, support materials. Folks can table, folks can print zines and, and distro them. Um, there's, you know, all sorts of ways to, to both uh, inform yourselves about the case and to get information out to your community. The thing about this first trial block is that none of the defendants are being accused of any property destruction. And in their opening statement, the prosecution conceded that. So the first trial really highlights how much the case as a whole, even for people accused of property destruction, is really about criminalizing our associations, whether that means dressing the same, chanting political slogans, or marching together. Anyone who values resistance should be following the J-20 case closely and lending support to the defendants. We have all kinds of J-20 support links in our show notes at crimethink.com slash podcast. Supporters have called for a rally outside the courthouse in D.C. the morning of November 27th. Keep up with at DefendJ20 for more info. Animal liberation prisoner Walter Bond has launched a hunger strike over lack of vegan food, mail tampering, and being denied books, even one that he authored himself. We have a message from Walter about what you can do to support him. This call is from a federal prison. I have tried now for over a year to obtain a transfer from FCI Greenville in Illinois, closer to New York City, where I intend to live upon my release, but I have been denied this as well through petty and irrelevant disciplinary reports. Despite all of this, I have maintained years of patience, quietly awaiting my freedom, but my cooperation has got me nothing. So in the tradition of ALF activists before me, such as Barry Horn, I am going on hunger strike. I will not eat anything and will starve until these issues are remedied. I'm asking everybody in the animal rights and anarchist communities to stand with me with your protests and actions of solidarity. You can reach the institution concerning my health and well-being at area code 618-664-6200. We'd like to close out this Hotwires Repression Roundup with a big, enthusiastic welcome back to Kara Wild. Kara was just released last week after a grueling 17 months in isolation in a men's prison for the burning cop car case in France. We have a fundraising link in our show notes to help Kara reintegrate after her time locked away. Kara, if you're listening, we're glad you're out. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for news. If you want us to include something in a future hotwire, just send us an email at podcast at crimethink.com. We'll close out this hotwire with next week's news, but first, Josh Williams, one of the Ferguson Rebellion prisoners, celebrates his birthday on November 25th. 
Writing to Josh will only take you a few minutes, but getting your letter could be the highlight of his week. Check out our show notes for his address, along with a handy guide to writing prisoners from New York City anarchist Black Cross. And now, next week's news, our list of events you can plug into in real life. On November 30th, there is an anti-rape and police abolition march in New York City. In response to two on-duty officers raping 18-year-old Anna Chambers in Brooklyn in September, the call for the march reads, As long as cops defend rapists on their force, all cops are complicit in sexual violence. The pigs won't protect us from rapists because pigs are rapists. The call concludes with, On November 30th at 6.30 p.m., we mobilize in Washington Square Park in New York City to confront the same pigs that perpetuate atrocities like this on a daily basis. From December 1st through 4th, Hudson Valley Earth First is hosting an action camp. They will be offering workshops, climb trainings, and most importantly, campaign updates. The Hudson Valley faces many fossil fuel infrastructure projects, all gearing up for construction as we speak. Learn about the Valley Lateral Pipeline, the Legoland Theme Park Project, the Competitive Power Ventures Power Plant, and how to plug into the local resistance. The exact location for the action camp is yet to be announced, but for the time being, you can RSVP or ask questions by emailing Hudson Valley Earth First at riseup.net or by going to hudsonvalleyearthfirst.org. In Sao Paulo, Brazil, on December 2nd and 3rd, there is an anarchist and punk film festival with exhibitions, literature distribution, vegan catering, workshops, and underground films from around the world. Cascadia Forest Defenders in Oregon have been fighting the logging of the Willamette National Forest. Check out the recent episode of the anarchist podcast, The Final Straw, with an interview about the forest occupation and recontextualizing forest defense in a time of climate change. You can go to forestdefensenow.wordpress.com to donate and find out more about how to get involved. Defenders of the ancient Matoll Forest in Northern California are hosting a training camp in early January. It's still in the preliminary planning stages, but if you want to help make it happen, email contactefhum at gmail.com. An important anarchist project, the Roji Negro Info Shop in Bogota, Colombia, is at risk of losing its space. After 15 years, they're being kicked out by their landlord. We have a fundraising link in our show notes to help them buy a new space. The 2018 Certain Days Freedom for Political Prisoners calendar is now available. Your group can buy 10 or more at the rate of $10 each and sell them for $15, keeping the difference for your organization. Single issues are available from leftwingbooks.net and AK Press. They're also looking for websites and publications to review the calendar, just get in touch at info at certaindays.org. The Popular Organizing for Defense, Education, and Revolution, or PODER Conference, is coming up on December 30th. It's a free, one-day opportunity for revolutionaries in California's San Gabriel Valley and Inland Empire to meet, discuss, and build relationships. The conference is multi-tendency, though all participating organizations are loosely bound by a commitment to the abolition of class society. For more, visit podareconference.org. The Animal Rights Gathering 2018 will take place on January 20th in Baltimore, Maryland. The Animal Rights Gathering seeks to carve out a space for intersectional, feminist, and anti-capitalist politics in the animal rights movement as a whole. You can find out more at argathering2018.org.
www.wordpress.com. Also for January 20th, It's Going Down, Crime Think, Submedia, and Channel Zero have issued a call to expand our networks and strengthen our spaces. We'll quote at length from the call. Quote, We're calling for people to gather in anarchist and autonomous spaces on the week of January 20th, 2018, in order to reconnect to the roots from which our movements draw strength, discuss the path ahead, and gather resources for prisoners, relief efforts, and ongoing struggles. Autonomous spaces include info shops, community centers, and bookstores. But an autonomous space can also be a public place you make a habit of gathering in or a territory you share and defend. The advantage of open spaces is that they offer a way for people who are freshly curious about our movements to plug in, pick up literature, and begin fostering relationships. The call proposes anti-cop block parties, fundraisers for the J20 defendants, screenings of sub-media show Trouble, letter-writing nights for political prisoners, and plenty of other ideas for ways to come together to dream and scheme. Go to crimethink.com to read the full call. And that's it for your weekly Hotwire. Many thanks to Sam from DC Legal Posse and our comrade in Olympia for speaking with us. And as always, thanks to Underground Reverie for the music. Don't forget to check out all the links, mailing addresses, and useful notes we customized for this episode at crimethink.com. Every Hotwire episode is radio-ready, so if you want to replay part or all of this show, just go for it. Just give us a heads-up at podcast at crimethink.com. You can also send us news or announcements to include in the future. Stay informed. Stay rebel. Plug into the Hotwire.